talk about Angel Dust? Yeah, Angel Dust, it's up there for me. One of my probably one of my favorite albums of all time. Definitely. Um, probably top ten. I, and I always think, how's it compared to you know King for a Day? I, I, which which do I like more? Let's have this debate after we get uh, done with King for a Day. Okay. But um, yeah, holy shit, two really insane albums. But um, yeah, let's start with Angel Dust. Yeah. Oh my god, like shit. The fourth, anyway. the fourth album from Faith No More. Big Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second with Patton. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released in 1992. As you said, I was one. Following the astounding critical and commercial success of The Real Thing, the album was highly anticipated by fans, and there was palpable pressure for the band to follow up. The previous release was something different and fresh. Uh, Mike Patton's influence features heavily on Angel Dust, as it's the first album with music conceived and written with him in the band. Uh, Patton's contribution would help the band transition to a more theatrical sound rather than their previous more funky funk rock style. And of this, Patton said, quote, there had uh, never been any question of my staying in the band. We started writing the music for this album and being part of something so fundamental was what made sure of it for me. The real thing had been like someone else's, someone else's band. It, It had felt like an obligatory thing. They hadn't needed a damn singer. It was just that they had to have a singer. Mm-hmm. That's why I was there. That's why Chuck was there. We weren't really needed there. Yeah, that's cool to note there. Yeah, like, oh, these guys would be fine. The only reason that they needed a singer was because bands need singers. But and, and I Maybe guess it's, like I guess it's the first album where you can truly tell Mike Patton had something to do with it, right? I mean, like obviously yeah. from the real thing to Angel Dust is such is such a like you said palpable difference. Um, so yeah, holy fuck, that's that's the, the Angel Dust pr- pretty much epitomizes Mike Mike Patton for me, I guess. Yeah. In that way. Yeah, it was definitely harder to get into. Dark, theatrical. Compared to the real thing. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Like, some songs, like, what the hell am I listening to? And then... Yeah, fuck, what do they open up with on Angel Dust? Land of Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Fortune is smiling upon you. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, all right. But then you get the crack Hitler, and it's like, I'm scared in here. Yeah, what, um, Land of Sunshine... I read that uh, he wrote that all looking at uh, fortune soft fortune cookies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I read that too. That's, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. Again, uh, noting back to how he is smiling upon you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So again, noting back to how he, it's not substantive to his life or anything, right? So like whatever the song needs and works is pretty cool. Um, but also making it so engaging that way. Some somehow it's, it almost makes it more profound. You're like, oh. You like you as a reader, you know people when they read lyrics, they interpret it however the fuck they want. But you're like, inter- yeah. you're, you're like, you're, you're going way out there trying to interpret what the shit means. What does this mean? You know what I mean? And it, it doesn't have to be necessarily metaphorical about things. Necess- like you know, he's just even if he's just ripping off ideas from a fortune cookie, mm-hmm. um, it still makes you makes you think that he was super super artsy and and, and metaphorical when he was writing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. I think Land of Sunshine is about. The stripping away of abortion rights in this country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of making fun of myself, too, because I'm always breaking down lyrics and shit, so I'm, <laughs> I'm acting like it's a stupid thing to do when I do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Patton also wrote a majority of the album's lyrics. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he got his inspiration for the lyrics from many different places, such as questions from the Oxford Capacity Analysis, Fortune Cookies, and Late Night Television. After engaging in a sleep deprivation experiment, he wrote Land of Sunshine and Caffeine. Said Patton, I drove around a lot in my Honda, drove a real, drove to a real bad area of town, parked and just watched people. Coffee shops and white trash diner type places were great for inspiration. Whoa. You can definitely tell there's, you know, a little RV in there. Mm-hmm. I, read, I read he wrote um, RV about his neighbor. 
Hey, that's the thing about California. Honestly, when I was living out there, um, you know, of course you go to bigger cities and it's, it's quite it's a bunch of libtards and all that shit. And then you go up into the fucking like Sequoia or like Meso California, and it's really just a bunch of people that like live in Pennsylvania again. <laughs> uh, they just have this little California style about them, um, mm-hmm. but they they have much of the same thought processes. So I, I wouldn't doubt that there are those people around. Um, oh yeah, you know, even amongst uh, more congregated areas like cities and shit. Where, Maybe Patton did have a super conservative um, um, kind of white or blue collar uh, neighbor. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Cool. Songs with lyricists other than Patton include Be Aggressive, which was largely written by Roddy Bottom and is about sucking dick, of course. One of the best. Uh-huh. Um, Everything's Ruined by Mike Patton and Billy Gold. Is there a better song about sucking dick? Actually, yeah. Um, Come Cocky or Come Cake. Um, oh, <laughs> Deep Throat, but it, that that might be the only better song about sucking dick. And it's a future episode idea. Uh, top ten songs about dick sucking ranked. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> she probably already steals the, the the cum cake anyway. So, probably you could, there's probably a Wesley Willis song that could go on that list. Yeah. Oh, sucking a cheetah's dick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's up there. <laughs> <laughs> that gets extra points because it's. Specifically about sucking an animal's guy. Uh huh. Bestiality <laughs> included. Thanks, Wesley. <laughs> oh, Satan rest his soul. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, Kindergarten was uh, by Mike Patton and Roddy Bottom. Kindergarten's one of my favorite ones on there. Yeah, really good. Um, and uh, Jizz Lobber was uh, co co written by Jim Martin and Mike, uh, which, according to Patton, uh, Jizz Lobber is about his fear of imprisonment. <laughs> However, uh, Gold, in response to a question by a fan, suggested that the song is about a porn star. A little more on the notes there. Yeah, yeah. That's like, other... <laughs> I'm sure Mike was just fucking around. That reminds me of, uh, there's like a typo negative interview where someone asked what a bloody, I think Bloody Kisses is about the song, and he said it was about his cat dying. <laughs> <laughs> Please Perfect. don't go. Yeah. <laughs> Just being just giant man holding his cat, like fucking, like, is this getting euthanized? You know? Oh, rest in peace, disturbed. Uh-huh. Uh, Angel Dust is Faith No More's best selling album to date, having sold over 2.5 million copies worldwide. So, yeah, even better than the real thing, despite its fucking crazy avant garde schizophrenicness. Well, do you also think that, like, just the success of the real thing contributes to the amount of CDs of the um, preceding album? Definitely. Right. Like they, they laid the groundwork. Now there's notoriety and now fucking tons of more people are buying it. Um, so I would expect it to sell more copies, even though, you know, I do think it musically and um, it's better and versatility wise, yeah. it's better. A lot more of a ch- challenging of a listen though, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure people were conf- scared and confused whenever they popped it in for the first time. Mm-hmm. Where's Epic 2? I want more Epic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Angel Dust also debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200, making it the band's only top 10 album in the United States. And also, uh, it's named the number one most influential album of all time by Kerrang. Really? Yeah. What is it influencing you to do? Like, when people listen to it, like, what did that guy, whoever wrote that, I I get it from a, a, from a, what it sounds like perspective, but like, like, that's what they mean. Yeah, lyrically. Like sucking dick, going back to kindergarten, fucking talking about your Republican neighbor, 
lobbing jizz jizz lobbing crack doing crack with hitler <laughs> influential shit here man we're talking about oh god <laughs> really really important seminal stuff uh-huh uh, regarding the title Angel Dust, chosen by keyboardist Roddy Bottom, uh, Bottom stated that he chose the name because it, quote, summed up what they had done perfectly. PCP? And that uh, it's a really, yeah, it's a really beautiful name for a really hideous drug, and that should make people think. So, uh, Whoa. Yeah. I don't know. Drugs make you feel good. Yeah. They're bad. They can. Okay. But, like, you know, they, f- they feel cool. Angel Dust is supposed to be, like, pretty fucking terrible for you though oh i bet yeah but is it does it feel good probably it probably feels great uh, what's it what's it, jolly jelly media yeah yeah if you oh did, yeah yeah <laughs> if you have any opinions on angel dust slash pcp and the uh um the feelings in which it uh gives you versus the um um the the negative consequences um send us an email here yeah jolly jelly media gmail.com um, uh, Jim Martin was unhappy with the title however in an interview taken while they were in the studio he said that Roddy wanted to name it Angel Dust I don't know why I just want you to know that if it's named Angel Dust it didn't have anything to do with me no oh, come on dude I know this is kind of like where the rift was starting to build with uh, with him and the rest of the band but I think it's a great name yeah it is uh, so yeah similarly the album art contrasts a uh, pleasant image of an airbrushed great egret which is like a kind of heron uh, water bird on the front cover with an image on the back of like dead chickens a cow head meat hanging on the meat hooks for butchering uh both bases billy gold and mike borden said that the uh, image on the rear of the album is not based on support for vegetarianism or anything but rather a preview of the music uh su- suggesting the combination of being really aggressive and disturbing and then really soothing the uh, beautiful with the sick. Perfect imagery. Perfect imagery yep. for um, the sound. So. I guess I could have held these up, too. I forgot to do this for the real thing. Yeah, you got to get that clear. i got to get better writing, too, I know. Or, I mean, lighting. I see writing. Better lighting. I do need maybe, better maybe writing better as writing, well. Maybe better writing, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's the real thing for you. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, what the fuck do you think this cover is? It looks like a bottle cap. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I always thought. But it's like but it's like splashing. And then there's like a, the, the way the flame is in there. And then it looks like. It's kind of like dried um, magma. Or uh, lava. It, it's kind of promiscuous too. I mean, I don't know. You got this phallic flame going through the center of this yeah. gaping bottle cap looking octopus uh, ring. Um, so yeah, maybe it has something to do with um, a venereal disease. <laughs> Whatever it is, it certainly isn't a real thing. So then, uh, so there's there's our nice uh, our heron birdie, our nice water birdie. It's pretty. The blue, blue airbrush, pretty. Sorry if you're like a sensitive animal meat person, but then there's the back with the with the cow head and all the meat. I don't know. Do you think most of the heavy metal community is a, a sensitive uh, meat person? <laughs> I don't think so. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, like bloodbath exists. People love bloodbath, and mm. they sing about eating people and being eaten and being eaten. Producing the album led to a rift between guitarist Jim Martin and the rest of the band as alluded to previously uh, when we were talking about the album's title. Uh, Martin also didn't like the musical direction the band was taking, calling Angel Dust, quote-unquote, gay disco. Whoa. (laughs) Hey. I don't know. Disco's disco, man. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's it's disco, okay? 
it's it's all a little gay, but I, <laughs> it's a little gay. But Roddy Bottom's gay, and he writes songs about sucking dick. So yeah, it, I it, guess again, it's kind of gay. Well, I say gay is in the sense of like the um, you know, Xbox Live. Um, yes, it's so gay. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like um, but I mean, there was a commercial I watched the other. An old commercial was like um, there's like these kids walking through the hall like. Like, that's so gay like stand up <laughs> f word you know what i mean like, it's just like they're trying to like say like you shouldn't be saying things like this yeah but at the same time just like making kids who do say it like just laugh and want to say it even more uh yeah it's like it's like bringing you once you bring attention to it people just do it it doesn't matter what it is man yeah um if you stop talking about things that are like really really serious people it, it just really wouldn't be like it, like negative connotational things it wouldn't be as serious anymore right yeah stop talking about it just let's, let us coexist. He's a mm. man. I like the picture in that commercial too. That then like uh, Michelangelo comes. Like, Whoa, dude! That kind of language is bogus, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the the old commercial? Because they were like they were like imposed the the cartoon Michelangelo in like those live action. Uh, commercials about like don't do drugs and stuff. Uh-huh. Like, yo, dude, gnarly dudes don't do drugs. Why the, why, get Donatello to do that fucking role, dude. Yeah. Why are you getting the party dude himself yeah. to do that? If any, if any of the Ninja Turtles are smoking bones, it's fucking Michelangelo. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus fucking Christ. Maybe that's why they do it. You can you can still be this uh, kind of California esque yeah. uh, surfer turtle and not do drugs. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> yeah. Personally. Uh, maybe he. Maybe he was picked up on drug charges, and that was part of his uh, community yeah, service yeah. to do these commercials. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yo, what I totally did was totally bogus, Mikey. These aren't real. These aren't real mushrooms on the pizza, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Master Splinter wouldn't be very happy if he knew you were putting psychedelics on pizza, man. <laughs> Uh, Martin was said also to be skipping out on practice sessions uh, during the recording of the album. In a 2016 interview, bassist Billy Gold said, The writing process was extremely difficult because he, that's Martin, wasn't really much of a fan of the music. He wasn't really behind it. He wasn't really into it. So it was a tough process. I mean, I think really we realized that he wasn't going to continue while we were making that record because he was just on a different musical page. Hmm. Shame. 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 I mean, he, his licks and riffs, though, are fucking awesome. Well, does he continue with the band after this album? No, Angel Dust is the last. So who's the who's the bald guy, then? Um, That is... Because he's fucking awesome, too. Yeah, he's great. He didn't join until Album of the Year, though. That's John Hudson. Mm. Okay. So he's on Album of the Year and uh, Soul Invictus. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll cover that. Uh, Martin said in, in an interview, my publicized not being into Angel Dust was all about the way the whole process went down. There was a lot of weird pressure to follow up the real thing, and as a consequence, the album Angel Dust was more contrived musically than I thought was necessary. Which, again, I couldn't couldn't agree less on, but, I mean... Yeah, what does he even mean by that? Yeah. I don't know. Contrived? I guess maybe, like, like forced? Like, they're, they're trying to force this different sound, I guess to, he means? To me, it doesn't sound for It sounds, it sounds like someone who's not forcing something would write that shit. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? How can you force that? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it hasn't been done it's before. So How can you weird. force yeah. it? Yeah. I can see something that sounds like, like, like everything else would be forced. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting yeah. take. Yeah, whatever. I Mr. still respect uh, his playing. and Oh, definitely. 
Um, but yeah, just go back to the gay disco, Martin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, from Wikipedia, Faithamore fired Martin by fax on November 30th, 1993. Fired by fax. Whoa. After the band had not progressed as they would have liked in rehearsals and songwriting, as an indication of the golf that had formed between Martin and the rest of the group, they had recorded and released Another Body Murdered with Booyah Tribe for the Judgment Night soundtrack. I didn't do any more research into that. Um, so they did that without his participation. And similarly, Martin produced and recorded uh, additional material for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey without the participation of other members of Faith No More. So again, with the, the exception being the uh, perfect crime. Uh, producer Matt Wallace later mentioned in The Real Story, a biographical book about Faith No More, that the death of Martin's father was a factor in the guitarist's departure as well. So, I, sure. Uh, Bottom maintains Martin was fired by fax, as mentioned, while Martin says he left willingly. You can't fire me, I quit. Uh, apparently. And uh, either way, Martin was gone following the band's summer tour promoting Andrew Dust in 1993. It's like, you know, what, what can't fire? You can't fire me, I quit. Well, like, you're already fired. Yeah. You didn't quit before you were fired. Yeah, yeah, you got the facts. <laughs> I didn't see it. Uh, did you, uh, just have a fax machine in his house? I don't know. Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know fax machines? Not, I, I wouldn't think. Not commonly. Mm. I don't know, maybe it went to, like, his agents or something. I don't know. Anyway. The album ends with a cover of the theme from the 1969 film Midnight Cowboy, which was written by English composer John Barry, who was known for composing the James Bond theme, wow. among other contributions. Uh, Roddy, who plays an accordion to capture the lead melody, said in 92, It was pretty much Billy's idea. He's into easy listening. I like it too. It's, again, a really hyper-beautiful piece that's a real challenge to put down. I think, in a, in a way, some of the softest music you hear in, like, elevators is also some of the heaviest it's really profound and powerful in a way that loud rock can't be. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, just the music that's almost ethereal, um, but still moving, uh, much as uh, like you'd listen to on, on an elevator. Sure, great, great yeah. description. And uh, like Brian, e you know Brian Eno is mm. elevator songs, right? Oh yeah, or songs you'd hear in an elevator. I think is, is the name of the album. Um, he got it. He got, got it. it. He gets it. Yeah. He said also, I'm really pleased with the cover we did of Midnight Cowboy because that's taken us into one direction that we've never gone before. That's the way of the future. Easy listening is where it's at. We're going to come out real soon with an EP of Music for Elevators. Hey. What? What? I like easy listening shit, too. Like, a lot. What does he mean by easy listening, though? Is it just, it's got a catch, it's got a little bit of a groove, it's light, it's not heavy? Yeah, just not heavy. Yeah, just like well, again, yeah, just whatever you, I guess, whatever would play in an like Sunday, like Sunday morning type music. Yeah, I would say, I would say, uh, easy like Sunday morning fits. Uh, drummer Mike Borden said of ending Angel Dust with Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy to me, uh, a friend told me this, and I think it's appropriate. She sat down and heard the whole record. The first song she said it was a pretty great opening track. It's energetic, and at the end when MC came on, she said this was exactly like taking a really great roller coaster. The first song you're starting off and and zooming off, and uh, the end of the ride when when you've been upside down and thrown up, comes back down and you're slowing down. Cool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, fuck, great, great fucking album. Check it out if you haven't listened to it. If you're listening to this podcast at all, you probably know all about this album so hopefully Probably. Um, hopefully we told you some things that you might not have heard before um hopefully, hopefully. 
if you learned something, smash that like button. Like and subscribe. Right down there. Yeah, right, I, right down there. Yeah. Right there. Just It's on the other side of the screen. <laughs> smash that bell. So, after Angel Dust... If they, if, they, if they thought they had to, like, do something different from the real thing to Angel Dust, what were they thinking from Angel Dust to King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime? What was the approach? I know. I don't know. So the uh, the whole, like, writing and recording process, as, as I'll get into, is just marred by, by some shit. But we'll, we'll talk about that. But, yeah, there had to be so much pressure because... They, they just went, they pushed it so far with Angel Dust. That's just like, well, yeah, fuck, well, now what? Isn't that like the biggest fear of a musician? Like, if you, if you're one of your album's hits, it's like, okay, that's cool. And you get, but like, it just, music just dies out, man. So it's like, how do you, again, without it being forced, how do you try to top something that you've already done? I think yeah. it's, it's really just changing the sound while also staying in your lane, coming back to what we were saying earlier. Yeah. And I think they do it there with King for a Day. Um, tons of classic, what I know, Faith No More elements to be throughout this album. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Fifth album, yeah. King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. Yeah, it's definitely a little more straightforward overall. But um, so yeah, I mean, that's also why it, it was like kind of like critically panned. People were like underwhelmed again, especially after Angel Dust. But we'll talk about that. So yeah, for uh, King for a Day would be released in '95. Uh, Faith No More would have to replace Martin. Uh, well, before it was released, they would have to replace Martin. Uh, it's reported that uh, Justin Broderick from Godflesh, and never listened to them. I've heard of them, I think. And uh, Jordy Walker from Killing Joke, who I have heard, uh, were asked to join. Both passed it up. Uh, writing and rehearsing the songs for the album is said to have taken eight to nine months, with much of that time spent looking for a uh, replacement for Martin. Yeah, because you know Patton you know Patton had the lyrics down within three weeks. So. <laughs> yeah, within an afternoon. Uh-huh. Before he woke up, he thought of, he thought of them all in his sleep. Uh, so yeah, uh, the band would eventually f- find this replacement in uh, Patton's Mr. Bungle bandmate, guitarist Trey Spruance. Uh, the recording of King for a Day would take an additional uh, three months and was done at Bearsville Studios in Woodstock, New York. The band hired Andy Wallace, whose work includes credits on Nirvana Nirvana and Slayer albums. Uh, Bottom claimed the combination of Wallace and Spruance as two new influences helped to create a a real up-in-the-air, what-the-fuck-is-gonna-happen kind of feel while recording. That's cool, though. Yeah. That's fucking cool. Yeah, it's like winging it a little bit, like what's gonna happen. I need a cool counter. Yeah, you know, I need a little click here for every time I say fucking cool. (laughs) I've said a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Like the uh, South Park, like, shit episode. Regarding the uh, Bearsville Studios location, Gold said in a 95 Access Magazine interview, we usually record in San Francisco and there's always distractions. I have to pay my parking tickets or some bullshit, show up late, people are running in and out, friends come over. But this was cool. The studio is out in the middle of the fucking forest. It's on this dirt road. There's just the studio and a cabin for two miles. It's just like sensory deprivation. But the good thing about it was we had nothing else to do but record. We actually tried to stay in the studio as much as we could because if we left the studio, uh, there was nothing to do. Damn, more similarities to my own musical experiences, plugging my band Herbivore here. Um, oh, yeah. When we recorded the second album, you know, we went out to the fucking middle of State College, just like that. The only thing was this little house and uh, a dude's garage with a recording studio on top. 
and you're surrounded by his chickens and, and the cornfields and uh, the pond house was there. It, uh, it's just nice to get in that element. And it's true. You got nothing else to fucking do but think about your music. Um, so I think they, they made the, the, a good move there. It also reminds me, you know, when we tried to record, <laughs> when we recorded in even a place as small as Indiana, Pennsylvania, where we went to college, it still was a little town, uh, not quite mm. like San Francisco, but analogously, um, you know, we were recording and then a knock came on the door and like, I'll never forget it. There's this fucking dude dressed up like literally like uh, the Undertaker, pale, <laughs> had a big fucking hat, a big top hat and a black frock coat that went all the way down to the the. the Spent and he's just like, I heard you guys play, dude. It was like it was out of a horror movie. Oh Jesus! Um, so little shit like that just couldn't can happen when you're recording in a very congregated area. Yeah, right. Just like no etiquette either. Like, why would he interrupt a, a yeah, recording it was, session? It was, it was very strange. I mean, apparently he liked what he was hearing from outside and just couldn't resist. I guess. Um, but like, it also thought we were gonna get fucking murdered and raped. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't cool in some sense. I guess it's good he liked it then, because maybe it would have killed you. If, well, if he also sucked. wanted to come in, and we'd turn him down. Oh, so. yeah. Could um, watch you guys. <laughs> yeah. I'll just sit in the corner. Uh-huh. Cock chair. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> the guys would leave the studio from time to time, however. And about this, Gold said in the same interview, uh, we had these rental cars, right? And we kept bursting the tires on these cars on the dirt roads outside the studio. Damn, those city boys just don't know how to fucking drive on a dirt road. <laughs> I know. Like, what do you mean? I've never busted a tire on a dirt road and I've driven many. Oh, yeah. What the fuck are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't get that either. It's like there's there's probably less <laughs> nails and shit on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere than there would be in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, so we had the guy drive out an hour to fix it every time. We did it with three cars, and he finally gave us a nice car, thinking we'd take better care of it. Uh, Borden chimed in. So the day we got it, we were out driving and got clipped by a smaller car, and we flipped upside down and skidded for like 100 <laughs> feet with sparks and everything. What the fuck are they doing? Dude, just drive on a dirt road. Yeah. Like, like take take caution, if anything. They yeah. got to just be whacked out of their minds or something. Yeah. I mean, it's unclear if they were on anything. And uh, that is cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Spruance and uh, drummer Mike Borden were, were in the car, and Patton, who had been driving, I, again, they didn't say if any, like, booze or anything was involved, but uh, all Mike did say was that he claimed to have had to look at a lot of things in the face as a result. So it kind of sounds like maybe gotta stop doing this shit, man. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. So, it's like a, it's like a it's like a night of after doing a bunch of substance, you know. Man, I gotta stop doing this. And next weekend, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking fun. <laughs> it's great, you know. And then you wake up Sunday like, man, oh, why you do that? Yeah, yeah. So I get it. I get you, Mike. Uh, Gold continued. I was in the studio and I got this call saying, you got to come pick us up at the police station. We got in this accident. And I was laughing, thinking, oh, another one. But when I got down there, though, they weren't laughing. They thought the guy in the other car was dead. And there was this lady in another van who had a heart condition who was really tweaked up about it. Jeebers. Clipped? Clipped by a small car? Yeah, flipped? Like, I don't know. Again, who? How do you flip? They they said we got clipped by a small car, implying that they weren't at fault. Sounds to me like they were at fault. If you're busting tires and shit on a dirt road and all of a sudden, all this shit's happening, you get what happened? They got a new car in the process and then they flipped it? Yeah. <laughs> like four rentals. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. It probably, it probably was the. Probably they, joyriding. They, they were probably at fault. 
Um, Boarding continues, but everything turned out okay, except that we didn't tell the guy at the rental car company that his new car was completely totaled. And he's driving down the street and sees his car coming the other way in a tow truck. <laughs> After that, he put on his his contract with the studio that nobody from the band Faith No More can rent cars from his company anymore. Whoa. Uh, to which Gold adds, once we ran out of cars, we had nothing else to do but again stay in the studio. Jeez, I, I, what was the time frame for this? I, I, I assume <laughs> they'd be at that studio for like a, what, maybe a few weeks. So what, this all happened in like a week? <laughs> like, <laughs> <coughs> oh. Oh, boy. Uh, so anyway, Spruance contributed to the recording of King for a Day, at which time he expressed that the band should return to the sound that they had on We Care A Lot. Uh, Spruance, however, would leave prior to the supporting tour. The band claimed Spruance didn't want to commit to a long tour, while Spruance said in uh, in defense that he was never meant to be a permanent member anyway, that he was kind of just helping out. So then the band's keyboard tech, Dean Menta, would take over a guitar for the tour in Spruance's stead. Damn, what a promotion for that guy. Yeah. But yes, yes, yes. I'll, I'll do it. Yes, 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 yes. A thousand times, yes. That's that's amazing. From keyboard tech to full-time guitar player. You're just playing on stage in front of thousands of people. That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Good for that guy. He's definitely in some videos from that era, from that tour, like doing like huge festivals and shit. Uh, he was he was probably like he probably like raised his hand when they were first looking for a guitarist like uh, and they just kept like <laughs> suggesting other names he no like, he would like put it no he did like put his hand down like like kind of shy away oh yeah <laughs> he like never spoke up that was a shining moment and then they were like hey wait what about you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, from Wikipedia Roddy Bottom claims to have been mostly absent during this period uh, the keyboard player owing to the deaths of his father and Kurt Cobain whose wife Courtney Love was a close friend of his. And again, I had mentioned in the last episode, Courtney Love even performed with the band for, for a stretch of time. Uh, I think after, either before Chuck or after Chuck. But That's crazy considering that, you know, she had Kurt offed and all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in addition to this, Bottom had developed a heroin addiction. And at one point, his addiction caused a band intervention. Uh, Bottom's absence led to the album being written largely, largely without keyboards. Uh, evidence is certainly an exception. There's some keys in that. But who's to say if someone else didn't? Mike that's also may pretty, well have recorded them. That's cool to think about, too, though. Uh, well, we don't have our keyboard player. Let's just not put keyboards on a lot of these songs. Yeah. Um, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's cool. Kind of thin it out a little bit, make it a little different. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, critical reception was mixed at the time. And following the massive, massive success of Angel Dust, I guess I can see how some people may have felt a bit let down. It's a hard follow-up. God damn, does this album kick ass. Yeah, you know, I read a lot of, I read, a, I was reading a lot of different comments of people's perceptions on, um, some people are saying that Angel Dust is, is a great album, the best album, but other guy said King, King for Day is their best album. Like, so I guess mixed reviews, me, I guess music critics just aren't, like for the average fan, I may, I would say maybe King for a Day, a lot of people would if if not say it's better than Angel Dust would say it's just as just fine comparatively like mm-hmm. commensurate to that of Angel Dust. I don't know where I stand on this. It's really hard. We need to make a little chart. We should have done that. Uh, Angel Dust came for a day and just put how many <laughs> like you know what what the pros and cons and what song what what are the hits? I don't know. They're all fucking hits. They're all hits. They're all hits. Can you what's one hit off? any of those two albums that isn't a hit let's look at the no, track list i don't think there is one get out ricochet evidence general art of making enemies star ad cuckoo for kaka i say star ad is the only one but then 
I don't know, it busts in the... That's a fucking hit. See, it's so good. All right, all right, all right. That's a hit. Uh, Ugly in the Morning. Fucking awesome. One of my favorite songs ever. Dig in the Grave. So good. Oh, Take This Bottle. Oh, a nice little man. country. Nice little country ballad. Oh, God. Hit. I got the King Bird AD. Yeah, I don't... <clears throat> what a day, what a day. Maybe the last to know would be less of a hit, even though I it's still great. Well, yeah. the last to know, and of course, just a man, a classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck, I don't know. I guess the only one that wouldn't be a hit on Angelus is RV. So, like, hit from a hit standpoint, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a hit for us. We fucking yeah. love that song. Uh, so yeah, I guess, King, I, guess, I guess King for a day is better. Ooh, see, now you're gonna argue. I I don't know. I, I still think pound for pound. I, if I had to pick one, I would pick Angel Dust, oh, fuck. just because it's so fucking eclectic and nuts. Yeah, like I just, I feel like it's a little different song to song than King for a Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but is it is it song for song different? More different? I think Angel Dust is fucking slapping most of it. And then, like, King for a Day is very eclectic. I mean... Yeah, I suppose so. Dude, you got Cuckoo for Kaka, uh, fucking Ugly in the Morning, and then you got Just a Man on there. Right. The fuck? Yeah, Those I suppose. are totally different. You and know Take I mean? This Bottle. Is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Like, oh, shit, you know I don't I mean? know. <laughs> all right, all right. Jolly Jelly Media. Inconclusive. Uh, yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, let us know. What's better? Angel Dust, King for a Day, or perhaps a different Faith No More album? Perhaps. Definitely album of the year, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think they named it album of the year because it wasn't gonna be as sweet as the rest of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a self aware right, thing. Right. Getting Mike's, ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but a little bit. We're almost there. So yeah, Mike's uh, you know Mike's continuing to push his voice. Uh, Gold is shredding on bass as effectively as ever. Uh, some of the critical panning was about the myriad genre influences influences being distracting. Uh, but again, like we said, I think it makes for an awesome package. But the, it, again, isn't that just fucking refreshing? You know, yeah. Sometimes you know, I, you know, I I love, I love heavy music, but Jesus Christ, every song just in your face all the time. You need to be, you need some something to break it up a bit, you know. Yeah, I think that's what Faith and More does so effectively is break it up. Yeah, yeah, and and not I hate and when not albums it, are samey. Yeah, man. So yeah, I don't know. For critics, these have more refined tastes than most. Yeah, geez, it's not easy to having huge exploratory brain, but and nuts. Yeah, exploring so much these nuts, swinging nuts. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, for context, I I uh, 1995 also saw releases from the Smashing Pumpkins, which is Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. That album has it tonight, tonight, tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, I know exactly okay. what, Yeah, it's exactly how it sounds. Uh, Smashing Poppings are cool. Yeah, I like Smashing Poppings. Um, Alanis Morissette had an album that year. Primus's Tales from the Punch Bowl came out that year. Radiohead's The Bends, which I think is a classic Radiohead album. I'm not super familiar. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, that album, robot on the front. That album is so good. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought it was well regarded. I mean, High and Dry's on there. Uh, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. the Benz is on there, obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, Sugar Ray was releasing stuff that year. Cool, yeah. <laughs> so, 
I don't know. I mean, compared to those things, I mean, obviously Radiohead's good. Primus is awesome, but I mean, I don't know. Compared to like Sugar Ray and Alanis Morissette, like Kink for Day fucking rips. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ, who's, people who, think? yeah, who else is competing really with that? Yeah, fuck, man. Critics just don't understand. Just like parents. Yeah, dude. I, I don't know. It takes a special kind of person to be a music critic. Music's just obviously you know, music's just so diverse and it's all perceptual shit. So it's like you weren't in that fucking studio flipping four cars when you <laughs> when the album was written. You know what I mean? Like you know, you, all you listen to is that little final, uh, pristinely packaged product, right? You don't know what the fuck went into that. Yeah. Fucking critics, man. Smoking for bowls, flipping, flipping for on cars. cars. Yeah, dude. Fucking uh, <laughs> critics are. I guess critics are cool when they say good things about your shit, and then they're not when they when they shit on it. That's right. But but, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not like you're, you're it's not like you're criticizing like a politician's motives or something that has substance. It's like, dude, people. Some people like this, some people don't. Yeah. So stop using all these big. The, the funny thing about music critics is just the the, the vocabulary they seem oh, to pull out of thin fucking air. Yeah. It's like, dude, I, you know. And again, they, you know, even when someone like criticizes a, a song that maybe I've written, it's just like. Then they say something about it, and you start laughing because it's like, I didn't, I didn't think that at all. Yeah, I didn't fucking think that yeah, at all. You know. And it's just like you, you're spinning this. Even a music critic's interpretation is all—it's just so biased. Yeah, all the super forced metaphors they always use. And if you're if you're a music critic, Jolly Jelly Media, um, hit us up. Let us know. You know, how do you make these decisions? Why why are some things better to others, better than others? And like, what do you what is your standard? What do you compare it to? Um, is it simply just based off your own tastes? I assume that's why people like specific critics work for certain yeah. magazines and shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but like but then everything would just be good if they're only evaluating music that they like. So I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know. like this show. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah. Let's do an episode on um fucking Kanye West or something. Yeah, things we hate. Mm-hmm. We can, we can do his uh latest album. Hitler was misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a, we, we what might, a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, would we, you know, what, what would our critiques of that album be? You know what? I think he was misunderstood. Yeah, maybe he changed our mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just takes a, it takes a black man in America for us to realize that. <laughs> we, we could do a cupcake. Yeah. Again, like you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Come cocky. Come cup cocky. Come cocky. Yeah. Cup, cup cocky. I think it is pronounced cupcake, but it's spelled cup cocky. That's usually what I call it. Cupcake. I like it. I like it. But yeah, so, uh, oh, that's what I was going to say too. Like, I think, like, a lot of, like, music magazines, like, back in the day when they were a little more, uh, you know, relevant and stuff, they, they would also, I, I feel like, try to purposefully write, like, really, like, scathing things just to get eyes on it or something or just to, like, get reactions out of people and stuff. But you're also risking your own clout and your own, like, people, like, people don't want to think you're, it's like, you don't want to be a quack. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, but maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because some people come off as real assholes and mm-hmm. like some reviews for things. So yeah, uh, Mike's vocals on Just a Man are said to be influenced by the stylings of Anthony Newley, an English actor, singer, songwriter, and filmmaker whose career began taking off in the 50s and who is known as one of Broadway's greatest leading men. Wow. The song What a Day includes the line, Kill the body and the head will die, which was taken from Hunter S. Thompson's 71 book, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. I never realized that. That's really cool. It's also really cool that um, no one fucking realized that, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> you can just, apparently you can just do that. You can just plagiarize, basically just plagiarize something uh, within a song 
without ever acknowledge like what like who acknowledged that? Yeah. Like who acknowledged I it? it? I think, yeah. I don't Did know. Mike Patton himself acknowledge it? Like saying, "Hey, yeah, like I ripped this off," because it's like. Um, Often when you're writing lyrics and stuff, it's like, oh, I don't want to pull from this because all people are going to know. Um, but like, at what point is it just inspiration and influential or just plagiarism? Yeah, it's just referential. I think just just one line I, I think is fine. It also depends on the context. Like what's before that line, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway. In a late 1994 interview, Bottom described the penultimate track, The Last to Know, as Pearl Jam on Mushrooms. That's fine. I don't know. Cool. I guess. That's yeah. It. Um, right. Yeah. King for a day, Fool for a lifetime. Also up there with my top favorite albums of all time. I don't know. I'm. I might. I think it's just because I listen to Angel Dust so much that I, I. I do just slightly put King for a day ahead of it, in my own humble opinion. Um, sure. Mostly because I love Cuckoo for Cock. I love um, Ugly in the Morning. Um, I love every other track on that album. But okay. Um, I gotta piss really bad. Okay there. All right, so we are brought now to Faith No More's final album before disbanding and reforming 11 years later to produce and release Soul Invictus. More on that later. And this album is 1997's Album of the Year, a tongue-in-cheek, self-deprecating title the band chose to acknowledge the admitted lack of focus and effort on the album. Uh, album of the Year there. It's got the guy and the, the train and the flowers. That's awesome. <laughs> um, there's, there's some good hits on this album. There's a lot of good songs on this album. I, yeah, I, I, let me look at the track listing again. Oh yeah, we love it too. I I think it, you know, however that it's a it's a great album with awesome songs like "Naked in Front of the Computer," "Mouth to Mouth," and "Got That Feeling." Oh man, "Naked in Front of the Computer" and "Mouth to Mouth" to me feel like they could be on oh, these cats in here. Not... "Naked in Front of the Computer" and "Mouth to Mouth" feels like like almost like uh, "Ugly in the Morning" type feel they, yeah. they could almost fit on those other albums you know yeah. what i mean and some of them are kind of really just standout-ish that aren't like collision oh, but i don't know collision's good it's really a, <laughs> collision could be on there too strip search is the weirdest one yeah yeah but fuck pat it's just it's still, it's still just really you still just get to listen to patent you know patent's voice it's weird like electronic shit going on in it though it's definitely like pretty and then good. And she she that. loves me not is so good too. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that was the song that we were singing when we were the first song that we started to sing <laughs> when we uh started to take our trip up to Madison Square Garden to see Faith No More. Oh yeah. Um, all right, buddy, we're not doing this again. Damn, I almost forgot about that song. Actually, I'll, I'll have to check that one out again after this too. Um, yeah, uh, cats are jumping all around us here. Um, cats and jammer. Cats and Jammer. But yeah, yeah, a lot of good hits on this album, actually. <clears throat> it's funny they would feel that way comparatively, honestly. Yeah, album of the year carries forward a lot of the musical sensibilities developed uh, for King for a Day, uh, perhaps in a simpler form. But And to that point, Bottom said in a 1997 interview, we decided we'd just write a bunch of songs and keep the songwriting as simple as possible and just go into the studio and record as quickly as possible. Uh, that was the way we used to write stuff when we started the band. Just really simple, repetitive riffs without a whole lot of thought. And Mike came back from his tour with Mr. Bungle, uh, which was supporting their second album, Disco Ballant. And uh, and he only liked about half the songs and only felt he could sing on about half of them, half of the songs. What does that mean, though? I mean, he ripped through all of them. Uh, I feel like the ones he didn't like or feel comfortable with were probably cut. And they probably just went with other stuff. 
Man, maybe this album was supposed to be way longer then. Yeah, maybe. So following the firing of uh, guitarist uh, Dean Menta, uh, the band's momentum stalled and the members began focusing on other projects, which took creative focus away from the album to be. Uh, regarding the release of Menta, Gold said, We didn't fire Dean because he was an asshole. We didn't fire Dean because of anything. It was just because we couldn't write. And he had already written songs, but it wasn't working. He toured fine. (laughs) And that brings us to the aforementioned John Hudson, who was a former roommate of Gold's. Uh, He was eventually brought on to take over for Menta on the guitar in 1996. Fuck yeah, dude. He's awesome. So that's who we saw play live. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Paul Grant. Yeah, he was great. From Wikipedia again. Started getting rushed in the writing. I I like to rewrite stuff, not just pull so much directly from Wikipedia, but eh, time constraints. Yeah, well, fuck it. I mean, for like eight hours. There's a, there's a lot of uh, good stuff on there, you know. Anyway, that we should, you know, see as uh, being credible. Oh, so. definitely. Uh, so anyway, during early 1997, all five members reconvened in San Francisco with Swiss producer Roly Molsiman. Guess I kind of went Scandinavian with that. I don't, I don't know what a Swiss accent is, uh, but anyway, he, he was the uh, long-standing collaborator of industrial rock band The Young Gods. Never heard. But I guess they were a major influence on Faith No More. Hmm. Bottom reflects, we did the record in parts more than as a whole. Then at the end of the process, or near the end, we got together. Patton had written new songs while away in Italy with his wife, such as Homesick Home. Makes sense. Yeah. Patton with Homesick. Oh, Moseyman encouraged the band to utilize computer-based recording slash editing software Pro Tools, something they had not done before. Gold stated... He said there were some things that he'd like to change in Pro Tools. A good example of Raleigh's editing was the song Mouth to Mouth. It wasn't sounding right to us at all. It was almost a throwaway song, but Raleigh really liked that one, so he ended up taking the acoustic drums in the choruses and moving them to the verses in Pro Tools, and it gave the song a whole new life. Holy shit. I'm going to have to listen to that now and kind of try to visualize what uh, that would have sounded like. Yeah. Because that song, that, I think that is the catchiest song on the album. Yeah. Um, the, the, the shortest and sweetest to the point kind of song. And Michael Patton's fucking vocal cadence on that's so good. I can dress up a dead man, but I can bring him back to life. So yeah, that part, you're referencing, uh, you tied the knots. Gold was, was inspired to write the song while traveling in Albania, where he'd heard loud Arabic music on the streets there. So that's it. To me, it sounds like he's fucking traveling in a goddamn carnival circus. Yeah, yeah, I know. It is circusy. Yeah. Like, really, like, uh, bungly in that way, too. Mm-hmm. As mentioned, the band would split after the album's release. In one interview, Patton cited what he perceived as the declining quality of the band's work as a contributing factor for the split. Damn. That's going to yeah. be tough at that point. Again, how I, even the greatest bands, it's like how do you follow up without just like think of all the bands that just tried to keep going. Uh, even some of my favorite bands, from like Minus the Bear to even Doctor Dog, um, in, you know, in the non-heavy realm, uh, just splitting up because it's like we can't top. We know we can't top it. Now we're just starting to sell out and try to sound like something else. And and they just realize that there's got to be a point where this has to end, right? Yeah, well, uh, we did it now, I guess. I guess we're done. Yeah. Hopefully they <laughs> could just, uh, uh, live on the... That's the thing. Is, do you ever... Are you able to, to the point, unless you're the fucking Rolling Stones, of living on what you make as a musician? Like, even if you decide to break up? Yeah, right. Like, you kind of got to just keep touring and doing stuff, but then you can't just keep 
toying with all the old stuff because then you get bored. So then you, you do you do want to write new stuff to perform new stuff. Yeah, but there are bands that still just tour on the old stuff and do just fine. Oh yeah. It depends how huge that was at the time, though. You know. I mean, it works for audiences. But it also sucks too, like when 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 you've only when people only want to listen to your old shit, and you're just like, oh fuck, why are we even trying anything else anymore? You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah, <sighs> music's hard. Yeah, just like I said about the damned at the top, they were just like, oh, thanks for indulging us with the new stuff. We'll we'll play the old stuff now. But people were still loving the new shit too because it's fucking great. Those guys haven't yeah, missed what, the what, beat. What concert were we at recently where it was just like, fuck, I just wanted to play something old. Must have been baby metal. Oh god! Play the old stuff. <laughs> play, play the new stuff or the old stuff. Just play it for less time. <laughs> <laughs> These high pitches are driving me insane. Literally, brand scrambling. I don't know. I can't think of what what show it would it would have been. Maybe I always feel that way about most bands that I see. Yeah, that's pretty much that's all I have for uh, album of the year. But but yeah, I mean, even if like if that was like some bands like. For some bands, it would be like the best thing they ever did, and Faith and Morris is like, eh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so still worth uh, obviously checking out. Mouth to mouth is is so good, and was Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, Ashes to Ashes is awesome. Naked in front of the computer. What song is it? Um, is that I can't stop winning? Got that feeling. Got that feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's on there. Holy fuck! Got yeah, that, that feeling. And that dude, like the the, oh, the vocal, going back to the vocals. <laughs> and then he starts screaming and then the fucking doing that fucking little um you know that 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 rhythmic uh gotta 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 get you going gotta 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 get you going holy shit that stuff amps me up man i remember driving through college uh campus just windows down i wanted everyone to hear that i was listening to that song because it was so fucking cool and i was like holy shit i blew my ears i listened to that song um (laughs) So they're like you know it sucks they feel that way and almost to the point of like disbanding after that because there's a lot of classic Faith No More elements on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that I think com- easily compete with uh, some of the classics that you hear on the other albums. There's a set I think it's Bizarre Festival in Germany. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. But the version of Ashes to Ashes they play there. It's like a little faster, like slightly faster, like slightly heavier. A little more dynamic than the studio one, uh, which I actually prefer it to the studio version, but the studio version is still good, too. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of good stuff on there. Well, shit, I guess. Well, so what, they disbanded in, what year was that? Um, so that would that would have been 98? That's fucking crazy. Album of the Year came out in 97, so then they toured for a while. So it would have been 98 or 99 that they uh, just called it quits then. Holy shit, so you're looking at a 15 to 16 year gap until their next album yeah apparently 11 because soul invictus is 2015 and they say 11 years so maybe they just start working on it like uh it take them a few years to work on this album maybe yeah maybe yeah i don't know how that math shakes up because it's more than 11 years between the actual releases mm-hmm. if it's 97 and but 2015 by, but by golly was it a doozy of a comeback yeah so i remember i was in college at the time and they started teasing the the second coming tour because they, because like all the uh, like music sites started writing like, oh, the, the Faith No More webpage has been updated, and it just had like it just has like their star logo, and it just had a countdown. And everyone's like, oh shit, dude, that's so fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so they they built up to it, and then they did the second coming tour. I guess that, that that was the hiatus. They did that tour, and then took a break after that tour, and then did Soul Invictus, and then toured for Soul Invictus. 
So yeah, it must have been 11 years between Album of the Year and then the second coming tour. Whoa. Uh, so yeah, that brings us to Soul Invictus. Uh, the band will make a triumphant return with 2015 Soul Invictus, which saw producer Matt Wallace's return, uh, but this time to co-mix the album instead of produce. The album is incredibly strong, and it's clear that the, the break provided the guys time to, to get inspired and eventually release some uh, pent-up creativity. Uh, I get, dude, I, I love releasing my pen up creativity. <laughs> dude, sometimes creativity just gets so pen up. Pen up, dude. You just got to release. Because, <laughs> like, you don't want to release your creativity, like, while you're asleep. Uh-huh. And, like, make a mess. So, like, you know, you got to you yeah, manually yeah, release it sometimes. Gotta, you got to yeah. boil up, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, the whole album uh, for me is great. I know you love it, too. Um, some standouts, though, if I, had to, if I had to pick a few, are Sunny Side Up. Separation Anxiety and Matador. What was it about this album, though, that did it had, it, it had this feel that drew you in? It was almost more spacious but driving. Um, mm-hmm. I think of um, Separation really Anxiety. Dark. Like the low tom fucking drive while it spaces out and Mike Patton kind of does his weird, like, still spacey vocals for it. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- but there's, some th- there's some undertones oh, of this bad. album that were just different. Mm-hmm. You could tell they're mature. You could tell Mike Patton's voice was older. Yeah. Um, but just, I don't know. Just, this, this album just has this weird, this feel to it that almost it feels more genuine to me even than Angel Dust and and King for a Day. Uh, it just feels gen like I don't know. There's this. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know what I don't know how to describe the feel of this album. You can't really compare it to any of their other albums in that sense or anything else you've listened to because. It's just that inexplicable feel that draws you in, dark. So I, I can't use good words dark to describe moody. music at all. But um, yeah, obviously, just let, let your ears do all the, all the deciding. Definitely check it out. Let your ears do the talking. Mm-hmm. Superhero, I'd say, is sounds much more like something maybe from King for a Day. Mm-hmm. With an S on your chest, and you feel like a god. Yeah, that uh, one's awesome. Uh, Motherfucker was an interesting track from that. Yeah, that was the um, first one they released. Force-fed more than we eat oh, in the wild, you know, where Mike Patton's kind of just talking. Suffocated child. <laughs> yeah, like, really good lyrics. Yeah, um, loaded, promoted in an ode to pomp and style. Yeah, really, really interesting uh, take on like I don't know. It's just like how do you come back to after after all that time with you know? Do you think they felt pressured, By or do you, or do you think they were just like fuck it, let's just do it because we want to? I think what's yeah, it I matter? Think so. I think it's why it works so well. Yeah, holy shit! It really, it really comes through. Because the, yeah, there were like you know interviews and stuff I was seeing where they were just like, I don't know, if they weren't feeling it, they weren't feeling it, and they all decided collectively as a as a group that they're like, no, we're ready. Like, we have ideas. We want to we want to do some shit again. Yeah, so wow. it, it fucking works. In a May 2015 review, Drowned in Sound commented, "As ever, Pat remains FNM's big draws. The singer." And the singer is in typically extraordinary form. His lyrics are a ragtag conveyor belt of leprechauns, superheroes, matadors, motherfuckers, solitary tap dancers, salad bar rioters, and sunburn victims. On such subjects, he spits, screams, shrills, wails, whines, whispers, croons, coughs, rages, and... Does he rap? He talks a bit, that's for sure. It's hard to believe there was a time when Anthony Kiedis could accuse this gentleman of ripping off his own labored vocal style. <laughs> yeah, comes back. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it, you know what? Because uh, you know, Anthony Kiedis' style is pretty much the same on every fucking song. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
So a lot of uh, Anthony Kiedis shitting on in this episode, which I love to do. Yeah, I shit on him. Uh, I last mean, week too, or last episode. Trust me, you know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, one of my favorite albums ever too. But yeah, <sighs> he's just a jealous little soy boy. <laughs> uh, and then he finishes uh, his quote here with the "Oh, what vast creative leaps Faith No More made in the years that followed 1989 is the real thing." Cool. Now we can talk New York show and get the fudge out of here. Yep, never forget it. Um, God, that was an awesome. We trip. woke up at like fucking four in the morning. We had a seven-hour drive up to New York uh, from Indiana, Pennsylvania. Stoked we were. Uh, we so listened. Stoked. We listened to Faith No More for the first couple hours of that drive just to amp ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Of course, New York fucked us in many ways because it's New York City. Yeah. Um, uh, what did it start with? The, when we got there, and they they said they had to move the show from Madison Square Garden, um, to the side stage, like behind it or something. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm still not sure why. Maybe because the turnout wasn't as good as they wanted. Maybe I think so. I think that was it. But um, so yeah. So anyway, the 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 show was August fifteenth, twenty fifteen, at Madison Square Garden Side Theater, which is just called the Theater at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so what I would have been a, um, I would have been a junior in college at the time. Perfect time to take a road trip with your pal up to New York City to fucking see yeah. Faith No More. Holy shit, were we stoked. Took a yeah, couple Adderall, man, railing out Adderall, um, <laughs> going up to New York and just being amped. Holy shit. Just knowing you're going to you're gonna see the guy that we just talked about for the last two fucking hours perform in front of you there. And yeah, so let's, let's keep going. Maybe we can delve a little bit more into that here. Um, the Soul Invictus tour is... is- the tour that they were on that was uh, supporting the albums they may release. And uh, according to a write-up on FNMfollowers.com, quote, they dedicated their usual cover song, The Commodore's Easy, to Lenny Kravitz's penis, which reportedly broke through his leather pants during a recent performance at the time, a fact that seemed to delight Faith No More, as they mentioned it several times. <laughs> Did you see uh, Lenny Kravitz's uh, new, his, like, new music video? No. He's just, like, dancing, like, waving his hips and dick around the whole time you know so it makes sense as to why that that hog would bust through yeah i've heard about people talking about that recently and i was like are they referencing like is this just becoming it's just, just coming him. back on the internet from something that was like seven years ago or did it happen again or so the, the video the music video references it you're saying mm-hmm. okay so that's why people i don't, I don't even about know it if recently. it references it as it as much as it's just what he does oh yeah <laughs> you know it's just that's lenny huge cock just bursting through those tight little pants yes super tight black leather pants <laughs> yeah just leather pants mm-hmm. so yeah um they also had the uh they had the uh track list on there and so this would be a nice little walk down memory lane for us they opened up with the real thing went into be aggressive then everything's ruined and then evidence and then epic and then black friday from soul invictus caffeine Midlife Crisis, A Small Victory, A Gentle Art of Making Enemies, Easy by the Commodores, Separation Anxiety, Soul Invictus, Matador, Soul Invictus, Ashes to Ashes, and then Superhero, and then uh, for the encore, uh, they did Motherfucker, RV, and Just a Man. That's crazy that we got to see um, Just a man. Separation Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and RV. Yeah, holy shit. And we were popping the whole time, but we, <laughs> when they started, when it, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, we were like, what? Yeah. We are pretty, we are pretty drunk on $13, like eight ounce wine at that point. <laughs> yeah. Remember they, they sold, they sold wine in like these little, um, little like wine glasses with like a foil cap. Uh, pretty interesting. It was like a huggy for wine almost. Yeah. 
Um, those things just we sucked them down, man. <laughs> yeah, we were all lit up after that. Just, just like Huggies. Uh-huh. Uh So like it's just like little like uh, seated theater. And we were like some of the only ones that were just standing the entire time, like headbanging and raging, going nuts. Going crazy. How could you not? This fucking stupid security guards kept coming over and like telling us like sit down and like calm down and stuff. Yeah, imagine you go ima- imagine you go see a band that's returning after a ten year hi- plus hiatus, um, that's absolutely just fucking legendary and, and, and It's one of your favorite bands of all time. But not only that, like you can't physically be at a Faith No More concert and keep your body still sitting there with your monocle. Mm, yes. Mm, yes, I like that bass note like what the fuck man um yes, caffeine yes, one of my favorite so things. that was another annoying thing about like new york and just like the kind of pompous bullshit attitude that we had to experience up there uh it wasn't it wasn't like uh, the boys coming to pittsburgh um which was a which was gonna happen it was gonna yeah. happen yeah well, yeah we'll get to that <sighs> we'll get to that also an- another thing about the show since we were raging so hard remember that that guy came over to us from where he was sitting yeah, he was getting the same kind of treatment. And he was stoked. He's like, oh, man. He's like, he's like, he was just like, what? he could hardly contain himself either. And he knows that we couldn't contain ourselves. And he fucking came up. And we all locked fucking shoulders and just started raging together. Yeah. And it was a beautiful moment for the, the true uh, Faith and More diehards. Yeah. He's like, he's like, no one's going nuts in here. Like, like, you guys are having fun, though. Can I hang out with you guys? Yeah, that was great. Like, Fuck yeah. Yeah, that was so cool. Cool. Yeah. So the show itself, amazing. Everything else about the trip sucked a lot. Uh, it was fucking hot. So we were 80 degree we, humid <laughs> New York day. Yeah, we spent the day, you know, just walking around. Check out the zoo. It sucked. Shitty zoo. Terrible um, zoo. My guy, that guy tried, that guy, that guy threatened me with a gun in the park. Almost, uh, or he said something of the likes. Yeah, he was trying to sell you candy and he followed us through Central Park for like over a mile. It was really weird. Um, he made a big threat to you. We went to the strip club after the show oh, and yeah. then got got back at 4 a.m. All of our food and water's in the car. Um, we were just like, can't wait to fucking drink water and eat. Get back to where we were staying, uh, which was your friend's house at the time. Yeah, or apart- apartment. A house is an overstatement. Miss you, Annie. Um, yeah. And, and the car the car was gone. The car was just gone. Of course, got towed. Yep. Um, it was really... It turns out there was a don't park here or something sign about what? 15 feet in the air, like on the side of some scaffolding. Yeah. That no one you can know, in, see. Hi- in hindsight, for us to have gotten that lucky is to find a spot at all where we did. <laughs> yeah. Not realistic. So maybe we should have looked around a little harder. Uh, next day was terrible. Walked two to three <laughs> miles to the fucking, I think it was called Pier 76. This huge lot. We had to go like across with Thousands of cars in it. It's my fucking brother's car. I didn't have any of the information. Um, and then we had to leave New York City at 3 p.m. during rush hour. Yeah, uh, by the time we got the fucking car back. Yeah, those which took what probably at least at least almost two hours just sitting there waiting in the waiting room, and then they had just listening how just listening to how pissed everybody was coming up to those um uh, workers at the at the desk there. I was just like, man, I remember thinking to myself, like, who the fuck accepts this job? Yeah, who who wants to work at this place? Oh my god. Anyway, Faith No More kind of evened out the trip just seeing them. Yeah, um, kind of. And again, we we would have another chance to see the boys back in our home city, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Go Steelers. September of 2021, stage AE. Um, yeah, and we were pretty stoked about that. Our um, brother got tickets to it. We were all about to head out there. And then... Patton, uh, Patton cancels the show. So, uh, quick note. This is another little bit of a serendipity here. Uh, fucked up 
uh, was supposed to uh, punk band was supposed to open up for Faith No More. They actually uh, they were supporting the Damned when I saw them. Uh, Baby Shakes Oakland, and then Fucked Up, and, and then the Damned. So that's cool. funny that Fucked Up comes back here again. But anyway, so yeah, it was it was a uh, Mike's call to to cancel the Faith No More shows. It was like the show was what like a Friday, and the, they canceled everything on Tuesday. It was like a couple days before. Yeah, just like had very to, last just minute. had to build. You know, as if this fucking shit like his um, doubts weren't there months in advance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, come on. So it was uh, Mike's call to cancel the Faith of More shows as well as some Mr. Bungle shows uh, that um, he had planned uh, due to mental health and COVID. So on the cancellations, <laughs> the band issued a statement. To say that we feel shattered by these cancellations would be a complete understatement. It has been a real challenge to return to this music after a five-year absence, but we have been working hard for a few months now, and these last few rehearsals left no doubt that we were back to top form, which makes this statement very difficult to write. Uh, their statement continues. Uh, Coming on almost two years of pandemic and lack of work, it has been heartbreaking to give our crew the news. We consider our crew like family. And then equally importantly, we're aware of what this means to our fans who have been patiently supporting us, hoping as we have for a break in this frustrating situation. Many folks have taken isolation quite hard and uh, patiently waited as shows have been postponed time and time again. This will be tough for them. Uh, goes on. And yet in spite of all this, we have a family member who needs help. We believe that forging ahead, forging ahead with these dates would have uh, had a profoundly destructive effect on Mike, whose value to us as a brother means more to us than his job as a singer. He can count on our 100% support to do what uh, he needs to do to get things right, just as we also ask for your support right now. Uh, thank you for continuing to believe in us. I, uh, I didn't uh, realize that he made a statement in like a couple of interviews that he had done last year uh, about this and, and what was going on. So this was all news to me before, like earlier today when I was uh, researching. So yeah, Patton opened up about the cancellations in a couple interviews in uh, 2022. I'm pulling from uh, Far Out Magazine and The Guardian here. Uh, Patton said, it's easy to blame it on the pandemic, but I'll be honest, man. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, this is fucking great. I can stay home and record. I've got a home studio. So I was like, yeah, it's a big deal. And then something clicked and I became completely isolated and almost antisocial and afraid of people. He continued, that sort of anxiety or whatever you want to call it led to other issues, which I choose not to discuss, but I got some professionals helping me and now I'm feeling better and getting closer to diving back in. Towards the end of the year, I'll be doing my first shows in like two years, which is the longest time since I started doing this that I've been out of the game. Um, about what factors contributed to his mental decline, Patton said, it was a little bit of everything, but mostly in my experience, it was mostly mental. I saw some therapists and all that stuff, which is the first time I ever had to do that in my life. And they basically diagnosed me as having agoraphobia, like I was afraid of people. Damn. He added, I got freaked out by being around people. And maybe that was because I spent two years basically indoors during COVID. I don't know. Maybe it reinforced feelings that I already had. But just knowing about it, talking about it really helped. And we'll see how it goes in December. You know, that's interesting. Um, just given his, you know, job. You know, it, is, it, it should be inspiration to anybody who's afraid to get up on that stage, even if you're afraid to, you know, what people think or people watching you, you know, get up there and, and do your skill. You know, because if, if Mike Patton, he said, like, well, maybe this is resurfacing of feelings that I had, but I didn't really realize. Yeah. Um. So he's probably always had anxiety to get up and do that shit, but also just, you know, did it, you know, and right. won a lot of people over in the process. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike began realizing he had a problem, quote, right around the time that Faith and More was about to go back on the road. He disclosed... That's when I kind of lost it. It was ugly and not cool. 
A few days before we were supposed to go on the road, I told the guys, hey man, I don't think I can do it. Somehow my confidence was broken down. I didn't want to be in front of people, which is weird because I spent half of my life doing that. Mm -hmm. And Mike admitted to the Guardian that alcohol abuse was involved. Uh, because I was isolated so much, going outside was a hard thing to do, and that's a horrible thing. And the idea of doing more Faith No More shows, it was stressful. It affected me mentally. I don't know why, but the drinking just happened. So Damn. there's yeah, just some kind of like a mental break and, and some... Uh, some alcohol abuse, it sounds like. Well, again, dude, you know, when COVID, yeah, of course drinking happened during COVID. What the, f oh, yeah. what the fuck else were we doing, <laughs> what else man? Do? Man, we were drinking so much. I bought swords. Yeah. I drank, played video games all the time. Yeah. I, like he was saying, I, I had a fucking blast. It was great. It was, it was great. It was great. It was great. It did get a little um, much for me at a certain point, you know, as it did for most people who are somewhat social at all. Yeah. Um, um, and look at us now, you know. Look at us mm -hmm. now. Look at me now, Dad. I remember, I remember playing a lot of Call of, Call of Duty with Brendan and uh, Kaposi. Mm -hmm. So I got, you know, so at least video games offered a little bit of a social respite from from everything else. Plus, Brendan was just hanging out with me all the time anyway. Aww. During that time, miss that. Don't <laughs> we were just you? floating around the pool, drinking. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was great. So yeah, so best of luck to Mike. Hopefully, he's uh, continuing to recover. Uh, he says he's been sober since then. So. Uh, hopefully Faith and Moore or even Mr. Bungle can make it back to Pittsburgh before long and to Mike's good health. To good health. Yippee. Yippee-doo. Yippee-gay. So right. that's it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We did it. Yeah. Holy shit. We did it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it was, it's great to be on here. I'm hoping I can come back again. Sometimes you don't think you have the time, but you want to get sit, you sit down and you start talking. You realize you, you it hardly, time hardly matters. Especially when you're sitting next to a good friend. Oh, you're right. So go find yourselves a good friend, a handsome man or a pretty missus. Pull them up close to you and do some talking. Time is a work in the side. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I had a blast too. Uh, thank you very much for doing this with me. I'm sure I'm certainly glad to uh, have a co-host. I'm sure the watchers, listeners will like that as well. well did, we, did, we, did we mention that me and um, Composi recorded the theme? To this podcast at the beginning. Uh, no, I, I did forget to mention that. So yeah, that was you. Um, I do say it in like the little end credit stinger. Uh, but yeah, this uh, he wrote the theme, the opening theme that rocks. Yeah, real quick. It was an old inspiration from um, our folk metal project that we started writing when we were teenagers. Von Hubbard. Um I used to just tab everything into a program called Guitar Pro. Still had that old recording. I was like, fuck, well, this is this sounds like a perfect intro for um, All Abandoned. So hopefully you guys like that little diddly. Um, and if you if you want any more, you probably won't get it. <laughs> but it's there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess. Yeah, so... Uh... Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, at uh, VRachnid on, on the Twitter. Um, I don't post very much, but eh, if you care. Uh, Jeffy Juice on Instagram, and then uh, you want to plug some herbivore stuff? Yeah, I'm in a local band, uh, not metal-related, uh, kind of uh, indie, um, not just nothing like what Jesse likes to really listen to. Um, but it's okay to be very diverse, and uh, I, I've always been a metalhead. Yeah, good stuff. I've always, been a, I've always been a metalhead, but I've, I've always write, uh, I've written very um, softer kind of music um, with a kind of different spin. Um, so, yeah, check it out. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. Herbivore underscore band for the IG. Um, if you're in Pittsburgh or whatever and you want to come over to the old abode here to hang out, just hit us up. <laughs> yeah, our address is... <laughs> yeah. Uh, our credit card numbers are my social 
security number is. Yeah. But all right, everybody. Um, hail, and I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. Catch you on the flip. See you. Alright, see you guys. All Abandoned, a rock and metal podcast, a product of Jolly Jelly Media, is proudly recorded in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All Abandoned is written, edited, and produced by Jesse Van Ragnit. The opening theme music was written by Matthew Van Horn and was recorded by Matthew Van Horn, Anthony Capozzi, and Nicholas Petruniak. You can write into the show by email at jollyjellymedia at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.